coming to get you, Barbara. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise me. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Who Shot You? I'm your guest host this week, Ify Wadiway. Today, we're joined by film reviews editor at The Wrap, Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good with you? Well, oh, golly. What's good with me, Ify, is that uh, The Bachelorette starts this week. I don't watch The Bachelorette. Uh, I was going to say. But Dave, my husband, does. And during the period when it's on, if he complains about the fact that I watched the Thursday night or Friday night Hallmark Channel Christmas movie rerun, I can respond with, has Hannah found love yet? <laughs> <laughs> and then he can just back the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, you, you have your defense now. Me, I was always like a flavor of love type person. Uh, oh, yeah, that sure. was my jam. So every time... It, the Bachelorette's back in season. I it keep waiting for another reality show where a contestant shits on the floor <laughs> while <laughs> deliberating. That's good TV. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And they've built an entire Bachelorette season around like the least able to form sentences person I think I've ever seen on a reality Hannah? show. Yeah. yeah oh, really? One okay. of the Hannahs. BG, I can't remember. Some yeah. Hannah from last season. Like, can't even shit talk, much less like yes. just communicate. It's it's it's. I don't know how they're going to edit around that this season. Yeah, I love a beautiful and eloquent woman. <laughs> well, so does America. Lucky you. <laughs> it's on, and uh, we're also joined by producer and film festival programmer Drea Clark. Drea, what's good? You had some good volume there. Yeah. Um, I'm looking it up to make sure I get the name right. What's good with me, and I'm expecting a slight head nod from Alonzo, is Ani DeFranco. Um, Ani DeFranco, so when I was in college, I had like two columns of things that I listened to. I listened to Ani DeFranco, Sarah McLachlan, Indigo Girls, and then like Beastie Boys, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul. In my head, all those things made sense together in a mix not so much. How many little affairs did you attend? Three. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, but Ani DeFranco, whom I love forever, has a new memoir out called No Walls and the Recurring Dream. And I started reading it, and it's a delight, and it makes me feel collegiate again and like a angry young woman that's in my heart forever. Um, and then she also released a mixtape where she re-recorded a bunch of her songs um, that like I know, like I know my name. <laughs> I'll come up with a better metaphor at some point, but I know them really well. And um, yeah, Ani DeFranco, been real oh. nice revisiting. And you guys have learned things. Did you know she <laughs> emancipated from her family when she was 15? I bet she didn't. No, that's something I always wanted to do, but did, I never would have been equipped. But you remember when you found <laughs> out about it as a teen and you were like, oh, I wish. <laughs> Um, I was more of a house pet, so... <laughs> I was going to say, I yeah. was not straying too far from the Oh, patio. man, yeah. So y'all both didn't grow up with the uh, overbearing Nigerian father. Uh, Weirdly, no. Strangely <laughs> enough. <laughs> no, I get asked that a lot, yeah. though, so... Um, hey, Ify, what's, what's good? good with you? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're in sync, Alonzo. I know. Uh, well, with me, I think, you, I think I've been going back down a music wormhole again, uh, but for me, it's Evanescence. Uh, Amy Lee is, is, is my dream. And it really sent me, you know, when you listen to music and you go back to high school and you just go down everything. And it landed all the way back to when I remember the last thing I remember the last day of high school, my senior year, last day. Uh, a buddy came up to me and goes, oh, um, some uh, I forget her name, which, of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
But he was like, hey, she said uh, she had something to say about you. I was like, what'd she say? She said you're obnoxious. And somehow I've turned that into my brand, so the joke's on her. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a little kickstart to the career. You never know where it's going to come from. Oh, yeah, but I'm really into Evanescence right now, y'all. It's not even a joke. Like, I'm back to looking up pictures of Amy Lee, and I looked up all my old, like, high school, like, celebrity crushes. (laughs) I mean... You're Do you just like have yours on hand? Deep a... into goth Tumblr. Say, are you oh, lighting the like... candles? Oh yeah, and... <laughs> I was. It was. It was. Uh, it was Amy Lee, Lydia Dietz, both the cartoon Stop. and, <laughs> and the live action version. Yeah. yeah. Well, now you have the Broadway version. No, so. I know. <laughs> we are already locked in on your brand, my man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, on today's show, we'll be discussing Pokemon Detective Pikachu, and we will answer a call from the Who Shot line. And as always, we've got our staff picks. But first, it's time for our new segment called It Dick. Short for, is this important? Do I care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, is this important and do I care? Uh, first up is uh, that the Avengers Endgame editors had to go through 900 hours of footage, or as I like to call, uh, Tuesday for documentary editors. <laughs> Preach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I only know because I worked with someone who was a documentary editor, and I was like, oh, how was it? And they're like, oh, we had like a thousand hours of footage. And I was like, that's crazy. They're like, oh, no, that's all the work we do. I was like, oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> or that's great. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't want to knock. They're like, no, I love it. That's my stuff. Uh, yeah, so both Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame were huge undertakings for the directors, uh, the Russo brothers. But it was also a huge job for the editors, Jeffrey Ford and Matthew Smith. In a recent interview with the Business Insider, the two editors discussed having to edit both films back to back for two years. And during that time, they went through over 900 hours of footage. Uh, and we have a quote from Ford. He's, uh, it was a constant state of pre-production, production, and post-production, all at the same time for almost a year straight. And then we finished that year of insanity. We went right into an absolutely hellish, almost impossible post-production period that lasted from January to April when we delivered Infinity War, and that was one of the most intense periods of filmmaking I've ever experienced. And I worked on some crazy movies. Uh, I, is this a quote from uh, Ford or the uh, VFX artist for the new Sonic movie? Yeah. <laughs> I got takes. <laughs> uh, is this important? Do you care? Well, I, I, you raise a good point about documentaries because, you know, I think the the, uh, the whole point about footage is the sort of ratio between yep. how much they shot and how much they used. And if you put Infinity War and Endgame together, that's like, what, five and a half hours? So really, 15 hours of footage... Oh, sorry, nine, 900 hours. Oh, I was thinking 900 minutes. 900 hours of footage. Okay, that's still a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I take well, it back. What, what it is, the ratio that you're talking, because um, like, that's what it was actually called, especially when people used to shoot on film. Mm. And so Hitchcock was known because he had a very show, a very low shooting ratio just so people couldn't mess with his story. Right. He would think like, of it all in his head yeah, beforehand. Yeah, he storyboarded and... like crazy, and he was like, oh, I'm going to shoot exactly what I want, and then nobody's touching it. Whereas then you have like... Kubrick, who's like, oh, I will shoot as much as I want, but also no one's touching it. So with this kind of thing and when it has special effects, it makes sense that there'd be a lot. I think so. And also they're probably paid really well. I'm not really feeling too badly for these dudes, but... (laughs) 
there's an interesting thing there. It it speaks to why even when I hear rumors of like, ooh, on set, like, oh, it was kind of a mess, and oh, I don't know if the and they've you know been bringing in new directors who are making big leaps up in budgets, and it's that thing of like, oh, they keep turning them out, and part of it is because Marvel has figured out a storytelling machine and that kind of machine requires enough footage for you to recreate story entirely because the actors half the time don't seem to know what they're in or who they're (laughs) talking to like i just saw that interview with uh i think it was anthony mackie who was like yeah i didn't know that was going to be an ant-man i just i came in and i said some lines i thought it was for like test footage next thing i know i'm an ant-man i didn't know i was going to be in infinity war like nobody knows anything they're just sort of like stand in front of that green screen say this and, you know, wear your costume. I don't know. Talk to this tennis ball a minute. But it works out. I will say my favorite example of a ton of footage is Mad Max Fury Road, which is one of my favorite movies mm. anyway, had like 480 hours of oh, wow. footage, which is pretty comparable what they're talking about here. Yeah. And is it Margaret Sixel that edited that? But that remember. one, because they did so many practical effects, yes. what she was refining was so much the crea- like actual editing juice, right? Like the the creation of a scene and that arc and everything. When do the flames look best coming out of that guitar? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a question we should all be asking ourselves all the Constantly. time. Constantly. <laughs> so you guys, I do think it's important and I care. Oh, yes. yay. I worked yeah. in the answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Oh, this one's me. Oh, yeah. Of course it's me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Deadline is reporting that Mel Gibson has signed up to play Santa Claus in a new dark Christmas comedy called Fat Man. The story follows a 12-year-old boy who hires a hitman to kill Santa after jolly old St. Nick puts a lump of coal in the boy's stocking. As you can guess, people are not super happy about this casting. Seth Rogen tweeted out in response, ho, ho, Holocaust denier. <laughs> is this important? Do you care? Man, Mel Gibson, F that guy. It's very annoying. Like, there aren't enough that aged, talented white dudes that could play this. And it's the same week. Didn't it come out today that he's playing the Rothschild? Yes. Which is doubly insulting with all of his anti-Semitic background. I don't know. It's hard for me to think they can't find someone else to do it but it also tells me somehow it got to them and he's the reason this film is getting made mm. oh yeah this yeah this directing team was probably excited and now everybody's shitting on them i know that's the thing about it is when you have these like you know well-established bad dudes they can bankroll their own stuff so you know like i think it really is about i think it is important to kind of be uh openly just dunking on this so that they don't make the same mistake again because if 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 we're all silent and we're like, all right, we'll forget this. We're, we just won't see it. Then they're like, oh, then maybe he's back if no one's mad. Yeah. yeah. But but I, I think that's what stings the most is what you pointed out is, yeah, there are tons of salt and pepper <laughs> Mel Gibson aged actors who are just waiting in the dugout. Like, yeah, put me in, coach. <laughs> you know? Or... Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, last year when he was in Daddy's Home 2, April and I kind of talked about this, or it's like, it's one thing to have character actors who are grumpy and irascible, and you put them in Christmas movies, and it's a charming contrast. Mel Gibson is a whole other thing. He's like a genuine douchebag who said really awful stuff. And it's like, I'm not of the school of like, oh, he should never work again. You want to put him in something like Bloodfather or Dragged Across cross concrete great knock yourself out he you know let him play these dark fucked up roles and bring that energy that he has to it don't put him in your adorable kid christmas movie or even your like dark edgy christmas movie because that's some bullshit yeah Yeah. 
and I agree with you. I don't want to sound like I'm the person that's no one can ever be redeemed. No one. I don't think he's necessarily made any steps to redeem himself. He's just stepped back into box office. I mean, I'm willing to vote on can't be redeemed. Me and a pack of iffies both agree that's that. Fair. <laughs> you and all your favorite me iffies. And a, me, yeah. me and a pack of iffies are anti-Mel Gibson. <laughs> Is that a gaggle of iffies? What do we call those? <laughs> school of iffies. Uh, um, ooh, speaking of school, you guys, that was a sweet segue no, that you. I did not even try for. <sighs> Just feels really good. So, you guys, as everyone knows, a live-action film of the Broadway musical Cats is in production. It's being directed by Tom Hooper. His most recent films were The Danish Curl and Les Miserables. Yeah. One of the lead actors of the film, Ms. Taylor Swift. Not sure if you've heard of her. She's a, also she's a singer. Yeah, yeah. You guys might be more. Oh, 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 that's a singer. Oh, oh, that, yes. okay. um, she revealed this week in an interview with Entertainment Weekly that in order to prepare for the role, director Tom Hooper made her go to cat school. Um, quote, we had this thing called cat school. There was a class where you could learn how to create the motions of cats, how to think like they think, how to sense things the way they do, carry yourself the way a cat would. I learned a lot. Swift, of course, plays Bombalarina in the film, which will open December 20th. Hey, guys, is this important? Do you care? No. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to. It's been a while yeah, since I've hug. just said straight up no on these. Look, I... I love musicals, but I hated Tom Hooper's film of Les Miserables mm. with the heat of a thousand <laughs> Russell Crowe's. Yeah, that's Just, a lot. I loathe that movie from 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 stem to stern, and so the idea that he's now going to be unleashed on <laughs> Cats, which is not even as good a musical as Les Miserables, is the very oh. real love I had for Cats in like junior high is. A defining and not surprising part of my whole character. Um, and also, I don't remember anything about it because it's so nonsensical. Did you guys watch the season of Kimmy Schmidt, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? There's a whole through line with Titus's character where they reveal that the entire Broadway cast, that the way that you join the Broadway cast is you just dress up and show get on stage and start playing a cat. <laughs> no, no, I missed and that. And that. that's how the show works. <laughs> and you make things up as you're singing and whatever. And I was like, yes, cats now make sense. Um, and that's kind of what I like to think of when I think of Taylor Swift at cat school is just wandering into that. That said, I would go to cat school in a heartbeat. <laughs> I spent a lot of time watching my cats, but I feel like, you know, a proper education so right. I can, what is it, create the motions of them. <laughs> I would like to learn how to think like they think, you guys. I mean, honestly, instead of spending all this money on this class, you could have just watched the basketball scene from Halle Berry's Catwoman and oh my God, gave perfect. you all the information you needed about the movement of cats and how they would act. So uh, true. Yeah, I, I, I have never seen cats. The only thing I've seen of cats is my mom had the VHS of the stage production in our house. And so I thought it was a movie about superhero cats. Sure. And so I just went about life believing that, never watching it. <laughs> and so. You're like, my mom loves superhero cats. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I don't know if I want Taylor Swift to pop that cherry to <laughs> discover what cats really is about. But uh, who knows? <laughs> Anything could happen. All right. It looks like it's time for us to uh, take a break. So we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about. That movie we saw, Detective Pikachu, uh, and uh, just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on MaximumFun.org. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Janet Varney, and like many of you, brand new sentient robots excluded, I used to be a teenager. In fact, just about all of my friends were, too, including folks like comedian Danielle Radford. And of course, all of us, you, you take on that theater accent, and our teacher would say, no, that isn't how people talk. Right. Don't do the super theater kid accent. It's the worst. But so when I was doing theater in high school, of course, I immediately was talking about being in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> So join me every week on the JV Club podcast where I speak with my favorite women artists, innovators, and humans as we reminisce about the past and how it led us to becoming who we are. Find it every Thursday on Maximum Fun. All right, welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your guest host, If You Want Anyway. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Alonzo Duraldi. Hey, and today we're talking about Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Drea... Could you provide a brief synopsis of the film? I can, although I resent that the brief has been capitalized <laughs> in our script. I know. I would really like to get into this. Um, so, Pokemon Detective Pikachu follows a young nerd man who has just lost his father, who he's been estranged from, and the father was a detective in the police force and died in an accident, a car accident. And so the young nerd man comes to Rhyme City, which is this magical place that a very wealthy um, engineer type, um, played by Bill Nye, has set up as a place where humans and Pokemon can Pokemon can exist side by side, but not in battle, not in training, not all the things that we know Pokemon to do. It's just them living harmoniously. Say balls. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. <laughs> I won't say balls. Ah, oh, dang it. And, um, and as he's there, um, he discovers that possibly his father... Um, his death was more mysterious than it seemed, and he might still be alive. And he knows this because a talking Pikachu appears, and he can understand it, which is unusual, and they're able to communicate, and the two of them team up to try and unravel what actually happened to his father, and they are joined by an able and capable young woman who's a an ace reporter just trying to help break the story, and they dig into what turns into, you guys, a very big mystery. Da, da, da. What is there to say about I Detective Pikachu? Actually, really did enjoy and love this movie. Uh, <laughs> I and you know we were talking earlier. I think this may very well be one of the very few actual good video game movies, and it's uh, and the reason I think it's good. And uh, by the way, full disclosure, I'm a Turbo nerd. Played Pokemon from Red up to currently. I was about to say, what's your Pokemon yeah, yeah. investment? Yeah, yeah. I, need to I know. am deeply invested in Pokemon. It's a game I grew up with. Introduced me to JRPGs before transferring over to Final Fantasy VII and fully drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, so, so there is No that. idea what any of that you, means. I was like, man, ahead. are you speaking a lot of language? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I will say that going in, so uh, there might be some things that, you know, didn't, I didn't stick out or was weird to me. For example, like Warcraft was okay to me, which was not <laughs> the same for people <laughs> because there were things that I was just able to immediately connect the sure. dots on because of the lore of the games that I've played. Uh, but that being said, I like that they kind of honored the truth of what Pokemon are. You know, I, someone I talked to thought it was weird that there were no animals, just Pokemon. And they're like, but then there were restaurants. And it was like, yeah, in the game lore, people eat Pokemon. Like, that's just something that isn't discovered. That's and, true. There's no dogs or cats yeah, in yeah. this film. <laughs> uh, but, like, the, you know, it was 
real fun. I, you know, I like the cute kind of twist, kind of father son action that you find out towards the end. I was, uh, I was along for the ride. I actually liked it. I, I'm. It's actually nice to hear that you have a background in it because I have slight memories of playing. Um, uh, whatever the fr- like Pokemon Red or some yeah, early version of it, and so I was aware of that. And then when it kind of came back, and it originally started feeling um, as more of like a quest, like puzzle games. Mm-hmm. And then they came back, and it was what was not in my wheelhouse was the the Pokemon, the catch them all, the like catching and training and all of that. And I and I did get a sense, even with my scant knowledge of their nods to that, like at the very beginning, we see, oh, he wanted to be a battle trainer. So we know that's something that exists in this world. And we it starts with him and his friend and he's in a field and he has to choose you. You know, so they're sort of setting up these rules for people like me who are like, what are the rules? <laughs> um, I will say what helped a lot in this movie was I saw this at the Arclight on a Saturday night with a crowd that loved it. Like <laughs> I was buoyed by this, by a surprise, like my friend Jen that I went with, we were like, who, this is amazing. Like there was a guy behind me who was so delighted by every, like the Squirtle did something and he was like, Squirtle. And like, there's a moment where Pikachu is sort of singing the theme song and he was like, ah, oh, yes. And there, I was, I was basking in the full joy bubble. This man was like putting out into oh, the theater. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if I hadn't heard that, I would have had much more of a who is this for, which I think is a, a decent yeah, question. I mean, I, look, I get the unalloyed appeal of nostalgia porn. You know, yeah. like my, for my generation, it was when the Brady Bunch movie came sure. out. Oh, yes. I remember the audience applauding when just the line goes across the uh, screen to become the yeah, box yeah. with the dad's head <laughs> in it, you know. But. Hey, I have since I have zero nostalgia for this, but I was I at least went in thinking, okay, this is obviously an attempt to sort of launch this as a franchise. Some effort is going to be made to bring the likes of me in, and I don't feel like there was much of one. <laughs> and even with even if, if whether or not I get how Pokemon works or what the intricacies are, just as a movie, I, it didn't really grab me. I didn't care about the characters. I didn't like looking at it. Uh, like I was thinking how like. You know, when, when Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in 1988, if you were four years old or you were 94 years old, you knew who all or most of those characters were because they're so iconic and so central to the culture. But if somehow you didn't, if you didn't know who Daffy and Donald Duck were, if you didn't know who, you know, Oswald the Rabbit or whoever pops up, Betty Boop, you know, mm-hmm. you could still get it. You could still follow it. There's there's stuff in that movie that is appealing to watch, that's funny, that's interesting. It brings you into that world. This, to me, just kind of felt like... Uh, Plot-wise, it just all felt super familiar. It felt like there were bits of Zootopia in there and some Roger Rabbit. They were kind of going after some Blade Runner and some of the visuals and also Babe Pig in the City, I thought, in terms of like, oh, yeah. it's a city that is every other city mooshed together, you know. Um, and I don't know. I just I kept waiting for it to like start enchanting me, and it never did. I wonder if one of the elements of it, the like you mentioned, the design of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There was something about this that, and I wonder if it, they did it intentionally because there's an anime background with Pokemon. Sure. But the the design of the Pokemon, it looked like to me, I'm like like they needed two more renders that they weren't 
Because um, they're meant to be, you're meant to look at the idea that the humans and these Pokemon are existing in the same physical space. Yeah. But the Pokemon had a very animated feel to like them. Like not enough fur yeah. scales yes. or whatever. And, yeah. and I know like there's movies we watch now where like, oh my God, like that that tiger was in the boat with that kid, you know? <laughs> right. And, and I didn't have that feel with this. Well, so it took some of the, maybe what would have been a little more magical if I felt like they were actually... I threw this out to somebody before and they had no idea what I was talking about. Do y'all remember, this was, I think it was attached to Happy Feet 2. They put out a Sylvester and Tweety cartoon, like a new one, where like Tweety has feathers and Sylvester has hair no. and like drool. And I it don't was, like what you're saying. It was so disconcerting. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I, I, I wondered if they, they would like, they, they maybe took it oh. that far and it was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you know, like the Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog thing. Like, yeah. dial it back, dial it back, dial it back. You know? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say is you run into the Sonic the Hedgehog uh problem with Pokemon because Pokemon is a very cartoonish game based on a very cartoonish design and anything made if you made that look real it would look disturbing okay so they I feel like with the design they tried to meet people in the middle because there are some designs I really liked like the squirtles and the Bulbasaur kind of came out the Bulbasaurs are the greeny guys who kind of led him to the uh uh, area where Mewtwo kind of pulls up on him. Right. And Mewtwo even was because Mewtwo is like kind of a scary kind of science Frankensteinian creation. But a like, Frankemon. Yeah. But nice. Gengar I really didn't like, which was the kind of smoke monster that was fighting the, the Blastoise. Mm-hmm. Like that looked weird because Gengar is like a poof cartoon and it's and all of these are designed to look cute and I think it's not all of them landed for me Mr. Mime? They they tried to Mr. Mime actually liked how creepy it was I was like like, this I I loved Mr. Mime and then like your Charizard you were able because that one's kind of the, I feel like the Pokemon that are based more in reality, that are based more on animals we know, kind of landed. And then once you got into the freaky territory, uh, except yeah. for Mime. Mr. Mime was perfect in Mr. my Mr. Mime, I, I agree. He was perfect. <laughs> that actually reminds me, the great scene with Mr. Mime is that interrogation, right? Yeah. And the, that they mime into interrogating him. But one of the things that I found interesting, I mean, it is right there in the name of Detective Pikachu, but... Were the the noir the detective noir um, elements that were kind of factored in, which I imagine are not in the uh, lexicon of a lot yeah. of regular Pokemon viewers. There is a Detective Pikachu game. Sure, though. no, no, yeah. but I meant like more specifically the film noir. Oh, uh, sure. Like just the the introduction of the of the the reporter girl woman. She's yeah. young woman, yeah, uh, and that you know she comes down the stairs, and that there's a sort of femme fatale strange yeah weird woman played by Suki Waterhouse that shows up and um and so there's there's elements of noir that I was appreciative and I actually wish they would have gone further with that yeah they didn't really know how to light for noir right. so it just kind of looked overcast and rather than like <laughs> shadowy and very you know intensely and the other thing is like Going into this, also, I knew because I was so not the target market that I had Johnny Jungle Guts, who's been a, a guest on the show, who is an artist and like knows his Pokemon backward and forward, has done like Pokemon themed art 
you know, exhibitions oh, okay. and installations and stuff. He also reviewed it for the rap, and he also had the same problems with it that I did. So I, I felt a little vindicated yeah. in that, okay, it's not just me being an old fart who doesn't get this. <laughs> but I think it also raises the larger issue, because certainly I had some people on Twitter come after me about this when my review ran, and other <laughs> oh people agree gosh. with me, which is just the idea of like these big IP movies, do they have a responsibility to mm. branch out beyond the pre-existing fan base, or are they just there to provide fan service to that fan base and the rest of us either can hop in and play along or we don't. I think uh, they kind of do because, I mean, if we're thinking... You think that they have a responsibility? Yeah, because I feel like if you're trying to kind of keep this IP going, you should be trying to bring in a newer audience, which is why when I was trying to make sense of everything after I seen it, I felt, and I feel like this is, I'm going to have to explain my landing here is it was one of those like hard kid movies and by hard kid movies like we are lucky to have kid movies like your Cocos and uh, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit Mm -hmm. who everyone can enjoy but you know as someone with a three year old uh, there are kids movies that are just for kids and watching it I think that was the hardest thing where the movie didn't decide whether it wanted to be a hard kids movie or Mm -hmm. if it wanted to branch out for Mm -hmm. because there were moments where I was like this is dumb but I can see this being cute for kids and then you have like the Mr. Mime interrogation which I think anyone would find funny so it, I think it's another one of those movies that has an identity crisis and also at the same time is trying to honor the source material which I think they did well I think you know kind of removing it because the problem with video game movies and the reason that's always hard is there's two elements that are hard to emulate one is just the simple fact that the player controls it and creates their own story sure the second thing is that the the stories are usually convoluted and bullshit like most <laughs> yes. like like across by the time we've gotten to the detective pikachu game we've w- went across multiple regions that were claimed that if you were the best of that region you were the best of all pokemon and then they introduce a new region it runs into that anime power creep trap of like we have to create more even though we said you are already the best uh and by detective pikachu the the game itself was you were just pikachu there was no there were no human involvements and legendary likes to do this with franchise i love cough cough godzilla where you have this thing based (laughs) off of just this non-human aspect and that would be fine to explore on its own because that's what was cool about the detective uh the detective pikachu video game is you have pokemon talking to each other and all all through the history of pokemon you never know what they think and that's the fun thing and they did a good job of doing it by having justice be able to talk to ryan reynolds and you're you're seeing what pokemon think but really i think this would have been a fine movie if it was just the pokemon and we didn't struggle to create human involvement like we did with Godzilla, which would have just been, uh, even though I do like Godzilla, I <laughs> I have high hopes for the next. Oh one. yeah, me too. <laughs> the King of the Monsters. Not the so. biggest yeah. fan of the somewhere over the rainbow slowed down. In no, the, I loved uh, it. I I I, I'm not <laughs> like, loved it. Uh, why? <laughs> I loved it. Um, I, the Pokemon trajectory in terms of talking about video game characters, I actually and and the onus of the IP. I actually think they were right. So many people play video games. Like it is a market that surpasses film viewers. And on their side, it's probably the more critical eye is going to be the people familiar with the Pokemon characters. So for them, they don't really care if I don't get what the different things are, or I'm like, oh, this one's more power. Mew too, huh? <laughs> What's going on with that one? It can float. But they don't care if I think that because the people who have invested and who buy all of their games 
the, to me, those are the standards they're living up to. So I feel this movie might it. The audience of this one makes more sense to me because it has more of a built-in audience. A lot of the things where people or where studios will make a film that I'm wondering, like, well, who the hell's the audience? It doesn't have a built-in audience, which is just me thinking, man, did you guys drop the ball? I mean, I think the notion of we're going to set it in this city where there's no battles except for in the underground fight club, and and <laughs> and where like the, where the where they all live side by side and no one's in a ball, um, you know, that's a that's an interesting idea, and that's a way to sort of divorce it from the hard gaming aspect mm-hmm. of this because a movie that's about a bunch of, you know, as as somebody's called it, like, you know, fantasy cockfights, you know, yeah. that you can only take that so far. <laughs> um, but I just wish they'd done more with it once they went into the, okay, yeah. it's going to be a detective noir kind of thing. I think, like... My favorite video game movies tend to be ones that really aren't based on video games, but that use video game tropes and ideas. Like so Hardcore like, Henry? I didn't see that one. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, Scott, Scott Pilgrim, Scott, Scott Pilgrim uh, obviously oh, yeah. the one everybody points to. But I would also say The Raid. Oh, oh yeah. Because yeah. The Raid is basically a series of sure. levels and sure. then a big boss battle at the end. And so, like, that's a video game movie, you know. Uh, but but because it's not hewing to this pre-existing video game, it doesn't have to, like, jump through these, through these particular hoops or include things that the fans want to see. It just gets to do what it's doing, but it's clearly borrowing that structure. Yeah. Well, also, I think uh, the thing we have with Detective Pikachu is, is it's one of the first... Uh, video game movies uh, in a while that's come out post, you know, Avengers. And one thing that I always uh, say Marvel did right was instead of uh, focusing on, like, I feel like pre like MCU superhero movies were ashamed to be about superheroes. They always yes. were. They were always afraid. And instead, they're like, no, these are about superhero movies, so much so that it's not a superhero movie. We're just going to put a genre on top of it. Sure. And then uh, respect the truth of the superhero world, which Detective Pikachu had the opportunity to do and kind of uh, fumbled the ball in a few aspects. And I think that's uh, that's what's going to create good video game movies are video game movies that aren't like, well, let's make this realistic. Like, no, let's live in the truth of the video game. Sure. Uh, and that's why I think that this may be the first good video game movies. Like, I do, I did like, you know, Resident Evil, but they did, you know, scuff up a few things. But I, the more I talk about video game movies and what I don't like and do, it really, it really does, like, drive home what you're saying, Drea, where there's all these, like, check boxes in my head when I watch a video game movie that things I need to see. And... Uh, and I'm the nicest of the, <laughs> of the video game fans. Like, you know, like, I was willing to give a Sonic a chance even with Thick Sonic, you know, Thick Sonic, skinny <laughs> Robotnik. I was like, yeah, I'll go see what it's all about. And the internet was like, no, this movie burns today. Uh, so I think with Pikachu and, you know, Sonic, going forward video game movies are kind of I think going to exclude the general audience and try and focus on making the gamer base happy but I think it just depends on if the fan base is big enough to see it and they need to do better by that fan base because I do I agree with Alonzo that the story for this was pretty formulaic I mean it was 
it was there was nothing ever really unexpected or like I said magical feeling yeah. and it's a magical kind of space there's there's plenty of possibility for that so I think this one to me felt like it rewarded the fans and I'm fine with that but then they need to up and also yeah because you know, look I mean the MCU if it had relied on the people that actually buy comic books in this day and age sure. it would not be a multi-billion yeah. dollar franchise you know yes the ones who the people who do read comics are the ones at the end of whichever movie going oh, Thanos yeah. you know and then have to explain to everybody else what yes. that means but like yeah but but those movies were designed to bring you into this and, expand, and, and give you a world that you're entering in as a, but like, there the are time. so many more video game players than there are I understand that but I'm just saying if you're going to make a movie and it's going to be and you know I think movies automatically mm-hmm. go out into the world in a different way and are aimed at a, a broader sure. audience in a yeah. different way well the, the problem is with video games and I think the ones uh you know, we didn't talk about it on air, but something we're starting to experience in shows like Game of Thrones is you video games tend to have like lore density. If you think about Pokemon, this is almost 10, 20 years of lore that you're kind of skipping till you get to Pikachu and is, is kind of condensed in a simple moment up top of the movie. If you and I and that's also something that. Marvel did well where they just took the time to was like, okay, what what are the ten poles of this Marvel world? The Avengers. Okay, then let's introduce these characters one by one, by one, one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. with the movie. And I think the best example of that going wrong is the DCU universe. <laughs> they saw Avengers and was like, we need Justice League now, and rushed it. And you and it's so convoluted. You need to take the time to go through the paces. So I think going forward, any other video game movie would do. And I think that's what Warcraft did. Warcraft jumped literally from three video games up until World of Warcraft. That's what they tried to do in that movie, and that's why that was convoluted, but also why I knew everything that was happening, because I was like, oh, this is the stuff you're skipping past. So, you know, all because we know all these uh, execs are listening to us talk. Yeah, right of now. course. Uh, so if you when you take on a video game movie, it really is like, start from the first one, and don't try and rush to the cool stuff. Would I see a Katamari Damacy <laughs> movie in a heartbeat? <laughs> <laughs> what would that even look like <laughs> but I would just like whole cities being yeah. rolled up into an entire ball you know oh my the, gosh the Arc de Triomphe and you know the Berlin Wall and whatever else you know oh man okay well uh, so uh, I guess we gotta give our final review uh, screen it stream it or skip it I would say stream it okay. I think if you have Again, I am never good with doing these because I'm a film programmer. I'm like, who am I talking to? I would have a different answer for a different person. But I think overall, this is at a streamlit level for me. I think that it is, uh, there's story flaws that weren't as engaging as they could be. But um, it is an interesting enough world. And I think if you have younger people who are viewing it with you, they would get a lot out of it. I know the crowd that I was with, incidentally, I do want to add at least half of the audience that was cheering for it were muscle bears. We were like, what the hell they love a video game. is happening? I did not know that. Jen, Jen and I were like, where are we? It was amazing. So if you have a child or you are or are dating a muscle bear, Yes, I would stream it. I will say I love that because I know they're lifting with me at the Golds on Coal. There you go. The, bear, the bears love a video game and they love a theme park. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't, now I know. Now I know. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of in the middle where I would say if you have spent most of your life playing these games and you have waited all these years to see what a, you know, 
Squirtle standing next to a, an actual human being would look like, then screen it. And if you have never played these games and are not interested in this world at all, then skip it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, pretty much the same thing, except I'd say if you're not interested, go ahead and stream it. It's a cute, t- especially if you're a parent and you need uh, bright, colorful little things on screen to distract that child while you do anything other than keeping an eye on them. Uh <laughs> But if you are a Poke fan like me and you're literally outside fighting in the two gyms sitting outside the arc light on uh, sunset, backflip into those seats, buckle up and enjoy yourself. <laughs> because even if you don't like the story, because there are a lot of Pokemon fans that have been like, yeah, story's whack, but it was cool seeing them on the screen. <laughs> uh, so definitely check it out. Uh, and I guess I guess we'll be right back uh, after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. Doesn't that sound fun? Unless you binge watch TV at least 80 hours a week, Inside Pop is definitely not for you. Sean, that's a little extreme and also not quite true. Okay, Amita, how about Inside Pop is the podcast for people who love and appreciate the best pop culture has to offer? Oh, much better. In every episode, we interview the people who create the culture you crave. Past interviews include the showrunner of Ava DuVernay's Queen Sugar and Mudbound director Dee Reese. You'll also get the very best pop culture recommendations in our Big Sell segment. Plus the opinions of two TV producers who are pop culture obsessives and actually do binge 80 hours of TV a week. Eyeballs. So tired. Listen to Inside Pop every other Wednesday on the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And we're back. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your guest host, Ify Wadi Way, and in the studio with me, Drea Clark. Alonzo Duraldo. <laughs> now it's time for us to answer a call from the Who Shot line, and today's call is from Brian from Pittsburgh. Go Steelers. Go Pirates. Uh, go Penguins. Penguins. Why do I know that? <laughs> Man, I did not see that coming. <laughs> but I love it. Let's play the call. As critics and consumers, have you ever given a film review or a recommendation that in hindsight you'd like to retract? For example, in college, I wrote a glowing review of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back that I regret. That was awesome, Brian. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I, I haven't gone back and revisited Jay, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, so I don't know if I would rescind my earlier. That's the thing. Like, Pauline Kael used to say that she would never see movies twice. What? Yeah, which is, I think is kind of nuts. But at the same time, like, there's a lot of movies that I just assume not revisit because I don't want to have to go back on what I said before. As long as they're just locked in my memory, I don't have to deal with it again. I have a weird angle into this question because I'm not a critic, but... As a festival programmer, there's definitely a couple films that I'm that had been in discussions. They made it really far, and then we didn't ultimately invite them. And there's, so there's a couple of those that I'm like, ugh. One of them was Madeline and Guy on a Park Bench, which ah. was Damien Chazelle's <laughs> first film that I looked at for Slam Dance, and it had made it really far. It's really inventive and super low budget, super rough around the edges, yeah. which is kind of exactly like a Slam Dance discovery. So it was this one that just sort of there and then we let it go and ever since then I'm like oh you dumbass <laughs> dumbass oh um and then one that I've definitely I didn't write a review on but I've recommended it to people 
And it's been something that I revisited even it's only a few years old, but even in those few years in terms of my own wokeness as a (laughs) film um, programmer and just enjoyer, uh, The Help. I read the book The Help and was super into it. Like, I mean, I'm assuming many white women my age read the book (laughs) The Help, probably because Oprah told me to, um, and read it. And so there was a... Obviously, there's more interior thoughts for the characters. And when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, great. And blah. and then it was one that I went back and was like, no, this movie gives me shivers. <laughs> what was I thinking? I don't feel good about what I've done. I got into a big fight with two white ladies about that movie and what the <laughs> flick. I wonder if they changed their minds. White ladies fucking love the help, man. Um, yeah, that's a real... How about yeah. you, Iffy? I mean, I'm 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 newish to the game. I'm, I'm I'm it's very weird navigating this, but I have like a real deal critic in front of me. And so <laughs> and I've been wanting to ask this question. I've Googled it a million times and I still don't know. Uh, and then uh, this question will bounce into my answer maybe. Um, but like so what is the rule for critics? If you're a critic, but you also act, has there been any known actors who are also critics? And should I just never do it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are there are a lot of critics who become filmmakers. Yeah, a lot of a lot of directors that start, you know, the, the entire French New Wave, and uh, you know, folks. But I mean, actors none come to mind. I, I know that for me, like. And the longer I live in Los Angeles, the longer the list gets. But like, if I know you, I don't review your movies anymore because yeah. that just gets weird. Um, so yeah, I, I can't imagine. Like, I think for actors, you have the problem of not just sort of like uh, you know lacking objectivity because maybe you've worked with this person ever. But there's also the possibility of what if I work with this person later? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know. So I've 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 literally like for uh, my other. We have a Rotten Tomatoes page, and like they gave us it, and then we both looked at each other and was like, "Wait!" <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of just sitting there, and we've just did the safe bet, which is superhero movies, which because like <laughs> I mean we love them, but <laughs> but also it's like yeah, it's uh, I think that's the thing. But to as far as like movies that I've suggested that I go back, I think one of the movies I championed and I went to war for this uh, was La La Land. I was big. I was big into La La Land and you know I got Damien Chazelle's just getting (laughs) getting some talk some heat in here his ears are on fire I was just all I just loved it you know and, and, and I was like truly pushing it and me and a good friend uh, Demi Adijuibe uh, oh I love him oh yeah. yeah we both were huge champions of that movie but looking back I'm like you know I really should have pushed Moonlight Heart I mean it had heat <laughs> but I, I feel like when people look back in the history books it's not gonna look good for me well it's funny that you know the the uh, Brian mentioned a review in college that he regrets I have one of those too Ooh, do uh, you? for National Lampoon's European Vacation uh, because I saw it with a public sneak preview audience in a packed house, and people were just roaring with laughter from start to finish. And I thought, oh my God, this movie's amazing. And then I took a friend of mine to see it on like a Tuesday night in a practically empty theater, and it died. <laughs> 
And I just thought, okay, so that was a valuable lesson about not being swayed by the room. You know, <laughs> the room, the room helps. The that's room can why... be powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's why, like, when you like at press screenings they, for comedies oh, and yeah. horror films, they will load up the non-critics to fill up the other seats. Do you know how many filmmaker friends I've had that have made me go to the things because I have what they refer to as an alpha laugh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. which is I am a loud ass laugher and I laugh at a lot of stuff. There you go. Yeah, that's invaluable. Yeah. Uh, the the only the other one is I'm I'm actually again I never saw this movie again so I can't say for sure but I gave a very kind review to Forrest Gump that I probably have <laughs> second thoughts about now. <laughs> Oh, it could be worse. It yeah. could be worse. I could have given it an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was your review of the Bubba Gump uh, shrimp restaurant? You know, still never been, but one day. <laughs> really? Really? God. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who has called in, and please keep calling in with your questions. The number for the Who Shout line is WSY eight zero three one six six four. And be like Brian, keep it short. Yeah. <laughs> He nailed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brief with a capital. That's right. Yeah. All caps brief. All caps brief. All right. So now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie in theater, streaming, what have you. It doesn't matter. Any of it. All of it. <laughs> Who would like to start? I'll start. All right, good. Um, I looked it up to make sure. So I have, I've been recommending a lot of documentaries lately. Who knew? But this one is currently out. Neon's released it. It is called The Biggest Little Farm. And it is so effing charming. I can't even tell you. It's um, about this couple who, and I'm going to describe it, and they're going to sound insufferable. So please know that they're actually really hardworking and lovely, or at least they appear that way on screen. <laughs> and... Um, they leave Los Angeles, they buy a plot of land, and they spend seven years trying to make it over into a proper biodynamic farm. So it's all organic and self-sustaining. It has an orchard, and they work really hard, and it's nice because it's people trying to get back to sort of roots, but being aware that they're lucky enough to be able to, like, oh, we don't have to live off this land. Like, they've saved up money so they can do it. They're taking smart advice from people who, like, know the soil and talk about it. But at the end of the day, the reason it's so good is they end up having hundreds of animals. They are the cutest animals you've ever seen. They have this enormous pig that is best friends with the rooster. They have a dog named Todd, and he's the reason they wanted to get a farm in the first place so he could run around. All the oh my god, the animals are just the best. You guys, they're so good. If you have a dog on a farm and it dies, do you tell the kid that it went to live in the city? Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> it went to live a very happy life in, in the a condominium. City. Yes, in a retirement home. Um, biggest little farm. It's out now. You should check it out. It's real sweet. Yeah. Uh, well, mine is a older one. Uh, I look. I just hate scary stuff i i'm very easily scared i'm with so <laughs> if i got a scary kind of creepy movie to review then it's got to be good uh, but this one came out in 2015 it's called good night mommy uh yeah yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually it was 2014 but out here it was like 2015 uh written and directed by veronica franz and severin fiala uh and it, it was like a, a banger when it came out i guess it was selected as the uh austrian entry entry for the best foreign language film at the 88th academy awards oh my and, uh, yeah it's about these uh yeah these uh two kids who uh think their mom is an imposter and they really put her through the ringer it's like uh yeah yeah they they it's just 
very cre- and like the whole time you're wondering like if if they're if they're you know if they're right or if they're wrong and there's a nice fun twist at the end that really I like a good twist like that's the thing like you like you know the stereotype about uh, black people and magic tricks that's how I am with my movies is if you put a good twist <laughs> like I'm still like reeling over six cents I was like damn you got me <laughs> you got me that, that was tight like so I feel obliged to add for good night mommy in the absence of April Wolf it is the embodiment of when she talks about something that's body horror that's done really well in a a horrifying like watch through your eyes covered (laughs) with your hands sort of way oh yeah (laughs) that kind of body horror yes well, uh, despite what I said before about not reviewing uh, movies made by friends of mine, <laughs> I'm going to recommend a movie made by a friend of mine, and that would be Charlie Says, uh, which my darling Guinevere Turner wrote. is directed by Mary Heron. The two of them previously collaborated on the film version of American Psycho. This is about uh, the Manson girls, uh, technically three of them, uh, after they were captured, and the sort of creative writing teacher played by Merritt Weaver, who tries to sort of deprogram them as kind of members of this Manson cult. And I love a good deprogramming movie. One of my, one of my fa- a kid movie I watched a million times on the movie channel as a kid was this film called Ticket to Heaven. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Nick Mancuso and Saul Rubinek. It's about this guy who get, becomes part of this sort of Mooney type cult and his family basically kidnaps him and like, you know, deprograms him. But the thing about this movie is that if she can succeed in deprogramming them, she will then succeed in making them realize the true horror of the acts they have committed and take responsibility for them. And so, you know, it's it's this weird balance of like, you want them to not be these zombies, but at the same time, you know that as soon as they aren't zombies, it's going to hit them like a ton of bricks that they did some really terrifying shit. Um but this is a you know and 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 Gwen Turner recently wrote a great piece for the New Yorker about her own childhood in a cult, and so I think she brings a lot of that experience to this movie. And this is a film that really takes these women seriously and is mm-hmm. about their stories and treats Manson like the bug that he is. Uh, he's played by Matt Smith here, and so it's you know I don't know what Tarantino's movie is going to be like. We'll see when we'll we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. But um, I really think this is a, a, a an interesting way to tell this story through the point of view of people that we don't usually get to hear from. And I think it's exquisitely made and people should see it. I will back him up. He's totally right on with this one. And also one of the Manson girls that is it's following is played by the actress who plays Gilly on Game of Thrones. So if you think you'll be missing her, you can check her out. Charlie says it's a great movie. Awesome. Ooh, all right. Well, this big... is the point of the show where we would normally read a five-star review. <laughs> we don't have any new five-star reviews wow. to read. You guys are I hurting Alonzo's feelings. <sighs> he has so many feelings. I really had high hopes for this week, but you know. Are you, would some say you're not <laughs> mad? You're just disappointed? I, yeah, I think that's a yeah. good, good way of putting that's it. That's the so, energy I'm getting. So that's cheer sick. me up, people. Leave us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Yeah, don't you want to get read? We can read you. That's right. Read it on the show. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Iffy, you've been a delight. Oh, Where can people you. find you online? Oh, man, you can find me at Iffy Wadiwe, I-F-Y-N-W-A-D-I-W-E on Twitter and Instagram. And it was spelled yeah. how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. If all <laughs> y'all did the Arsenio Wolf, uh, Wolf Wolf, uh, when you heard me talking about Pokemon because you like video games, I'm Ifty's on Twitch.tv oh. where I play video games 
for your entertainment. Uh, All right. Uh, yeah. And uh, do I entertain? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you uh, are you like, I got to hear that voice again. You could do three things. One, you can hear me on Monday on my podcast, Candy Dinner with Matt Apodaca. You can hear me Tuesday on uh, Nerdificent. And uh, the third thing you could do is harass Casey till he has me back. Uh, <laughs> uh, highly recommend the third. <laughs> If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pod. Our Facebook group can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash Who Shot Your Podcast. Or send us an email at Who Shot You at MaximumFun.org. And one more time for the people in the back, the Who Shot You line number is WSY803-1664. Thank you, Brian from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Go Pirates, Penguins, and uh, the Steelers. <laughs> our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of MaximumFun.org. My words will work one day. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.